0: Hello, and welcome to Why We Move, the podcast from Do More Movement, hosted by me, Jeremy Johnston. Each episode, I'll be speaking to a mover and shaker from the health and fitness world and beyond. We'll find out why they move, what it gives them, both physically and mentally, who and what inspires them to move, and why they want you to move more. The aim is to encourage you to challenge your body and mind in new ways, to think differently about health and fitness, to try things you've never done before, and above all, to do more movement. Today's guest, Johnny Jacobs, aka Everyday Athlete, has worked in the fitness industry for almost 20 years. He's been a physical trainer for the Armed Forces, competed in bodybuilding competitions and completed numerous marathons and Ironman events. He has a degree in sports science and a master's in strength and conditioning. Johnny shares the deeply personal reasons why he moves and what motivates him to keep going when things get tough. We also talk about body image and how he enjoys dispelling some of the myths and preconceptions about what an endurance athlete should look like. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I did recording it. So, here is Why We Move with Johnny Jacobs. Well, hello, Johnny, and thank you for coming on today's uh, episode of Why We Move from Do More Movement. Um, just before we get into uh, the main conversation, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: So, as you just said, uh, my name's Johnny. I'm a personal trainer working out of London and online. Uh, I've been a PT now for just over 20 years, taken a few stints out of being a PT, but it seems to be where I've gravitated towards or sort of come back to every time I've maybe come away from it. Um always been in sport and fitness, um, but this seems to be kind of where I lie and where I'm going to see myself going, certainly for the next few years as well
0: so you spend your time training clients monday to monday to friday
1: yeah so i i'm a limited company my company's called everyday athlete um and uh i'm either face-to-face online clients face-to-face clients in london um in the east london area um i teach classes as well i teach crossfit and i teach some group exercise classes and i run an online coaching program as well so my uh, like all PTs, our hours are kind of a bit hit and miss and all over the place, but generally I will train face-to-face clients sort of two, three times a week um, and then online programming is done sort of all the time.
0: Great and we'll get into a bit about the everyday athlete and that approach to, to training and your events as we go on. Before we go go delve into that, so let's just talk a little bit about your, your movement's, I guess, history and how you came to be doing what you did. So what were you doing as a child? Was it sport, competitive sport, or was it, and how did that develop through your, I guess, your teenage years, your 20s and things to to get you here?
1: So at the ripe old age of almost 39, uh, and I'm starting to feel it more 39 than (laughs) I ever used to now, um, I I think I've always been really sporty. Uh, I certainly went through my inactive years, like being really, really little, I think she was quite happy to watch cartoons when I was really young. Mum always just said if I was sat in the front of the TV with some cartoons and a bowl of crisps, I was happy. <laughs> but I was never an inactive child. I think I was very hyper. I think the doctor asked my mum when I was very little if I had ADHD because I wouldn't sit still while she was having a check, like get a checkup. The, she the said, doctor was
0: asking your mum. The doctor asked her she child, <laughs> ADHD. And
1: she, she went, no, he's just a really hyperactive <laughs> child. Um, so obviously always had that with me. Um, I went, I always played sport. I didn't play any competitive sport until I got to second. School, So at the age of 11 Uh, and because I was not I am now, but I was the tallest, pretty much the tallest in my year back then. I had a great spurt quite young and then I'd reached my peak of height at the age of 14, 13 and I haven't grown since, which is very depressing. (laughs) Um, But I was the tallest. I was thrown into the rugby team. Um, I took to swimming really, really well. So I was as a county level swimmer by the age of sort of 15. I played county level rugby all the way through school Um, and I played sport. All the way through, I found the gym. I found lifting weights when I was about 15. I'd always been interested in bodybuilding, but never really done anything. I think when I was eventually allowed to join a gym, I just wanted to lift weights. Yeah. I thought, yeah, that's great. I want to get, I want to get really big. like. And was world, that, world Strongest Man is cool, everyone grew up on and it. And that
0: was kind of inspired by what you'd seen on telly or... Absolutely, like
1: if we go back to kind of Christmas specials, the so world Strongest Man, my heroes growing up were the Incredible Hulk and He-Man and Thundercats. And I think I'm of that age of where the superheroes were, just looked like bodybuilders. So yep. I think I just almost achieved, because that's all I watched, because that's all I threw myself into, that's kind of what I thought, oh, that's what, definitely what I'm going to do. So I think when I was eventually allowed to lift weights, I just I absolutely loved it. Mum and Dad never let, no one ever bought me a a home gym like some dumbbells. I said, no, you don't know what you're doing. We'll get you a gym induction when you're old enough to get a gym induction, and you'll go from there. And then you go in with your mates, and you've still got no idea what you're doing, but you're legally allowed to go in now and lift weights. Um, <laughs> they so, can't stop you. Man. Exactly. So <laughs> loads of loads of copies of Muscle and Fitness and Flex magazine every month, and going, yeah, oh, if I take that supplement, that'll get me massive. <laughs> and being naive to the whole industry as it was as it is. Um, and then carried on playing rugby, but less competitively when I finished school. I was never a great rugby player, but I was, because I was big and because I was strong, I got away with it to a, to a certain level. level
0: because you had- the, Because the, the I had those abilities. I certainly mm-hmm.
1: didn't have the skill levels, but yeah, I did all right just because of the, the physical capabilities. Um, it was only when everyone else started getting very, very skillful, <laughs> I was like, I think about my depth now.
0: Yeah, the growth spurts catch up and then it Absolutely. comes down to skill. Yeah,
1: yeah. 100%. Uh, so I got more into weight training. I got more into different sports. Swimming stopped, or well, didn't stop, by I stopped competitively about the age of sort of 16, 17, just because I didn't enjoy the early mornings, going to swimming before school and then swimming after school, it just became a bit of a Brutal tour Yeah, and I think it was kind of okay, well actually everyone's going to the pub now, and I've got to be up at <laughs> I've got to be up at half past five in the morning to swim. Yeah. Was like, I don't want to do this for much longer. So I sillily, stupidly gave up swimming, which I probably shouldn't have done because actually it would have been great to have done. But I look at the high-level swimmers now and going, are definitely not the same size as these swimmers.
0: They also peak very early, don't yeah, they, swimming? So, yeah. you know, most of them are sort of mid-late teens yeah. and by sort of 23, 24, you're, you're looking at Barely other done. things. So <laughs> then you, you move from that and with bodybuilding in your 20s, was that the, the main focus?
1: So, yeah, so I, I left university at the age of 25 because so I took several gap years, not really sure know what I was going to do. So I eventually went to university, did a sports science degree, Played an alright level all the way through all the way through, um, through university. But yeah, love was lifting weights. Like I would lift weights more than I would do anything else. Certainly more than I studied anyway. <laughs> and then I went and worked for the army. I didn't join the army, I went and worked for the army as a civilian PTI. And then due to PTI my doing... being a physical training instructor, cool. um, I went and did that down in Berkshire, based in Aldershot and near Reading. Uh, I work with uh, REMI, the Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineers, who are apparently the intelligent bunch of the military. <laughs> um, and I think because of my background in professional sports, I've been lucky to have worked with in the strength and conditioning department of several rugby clubs. I was then asked to go and lead the um, Army Rugby Academy team in S&C. So I did some fantastic work with them, really enjoyed myself. I did a bit of stuff with the Army boxing team. It was wonderful. I did a great four and a half, five years with the army, until I'd had enough. I'd wanted to, I wanted to move back to London, where I'm originally from, and started working as a personal trainer. So I stopped playing rugby while I was still working for the army. I played lo- local club in Reading, and I just wasn't enjoying it as much. Like I got sore, and I didn't want to give up weekends all the yeah. time to play and getting injured, and then getting back up. And then because my work, because my job was so physical, having to run with the Wanted to have, wanted to run with recruits. Wanted to take them through obstacle courses. Wanted to do lots of different stuff. If I was injured, I couldn't do my job, and therefore I would then be essentially useless to my post. Yeah, so there sure. wasn't there wasn't an option to go. Okay, well you go and do an admin then. This was a physical role. Yeah, you needed so to be I needed putting to be, your body. Yeah.
0: If I got injured, if, if I got than... if I
1: got injured at work, it was different. If I got injured outside work yeah. by doing something recreational, it not yeah. it wasn't right. looked upon very favourably. And when so. I moved back to London, I started working for a, for a personal training company. I, I had not set myself up my own business then. And there was lots of people who had done competitive bodybuilding. And I thought, well, no, well, actually, why not? Why not give it a go? So yes, yeah, I, then I started to do competitive bodybuilding, like natural competitive bodybuilding. Didn't take it really seriously, but it was OK, let's train. Let's diet for a competition. And that's kind of how I got into into more of that uh, aesthetic based focus.
0: Sure. And, and how how long were you, were you doing that? You're not doing that now. No, not doing How that now. How long were you doing that kind of?
1: So I, I, did, I did three years of competing. So I did my first competition in 2013, I then took a year off from doing it, and I then did two competitions in 2015.
0: Okay, and your movement practice now is very different to that.
1: Yeah, really different. So
0: what do you do, what do, you do now?
1: So now, I suppose I class myself as a hybrid athlete. I am competitive in my own right. I'm never going to podium at a 10K or an Ironman, but I will certainly work my ass off to get in a certain percentage of that, of that finishing post.
0: So, those, so just so our listeners know, what kind of events are you doing? So
1: I'm doing anything from um, fitness competitions. So whether it's uh, a... A very very watered down CrossFit Games, and yeah. when I say very watered down, like vastly watered down, like a <laughs> trickle in a trickle in, the, in a puddle. Um, but it's that type of element to it. Yeah, so it's multi, multi-faceted. Multi, yeah, uh, absolutely. You never really know what you're going to get. Anything day. from running to rowing to lifting weights to yeah. lots of different things yeah. we are thrown together at you. Some, to, yeah. some are individual competitions, some are team competitions, yeah. to full Ironmans, to half Ironmans, to marathons, to ultra marathons, to duathlons, obstacle course races. Uh, and I think, yeah, I essentially so
0: anything and everything that yeah. all the all the different kind of races that there are now hundreds of. Yeah, I've kind of I've essentially three wanted. Three years, I think about
1: sort of. I think about three four years ago. I said I kind of wanted to be able to give anything a go. So I wanted a little bit. If I had a little bit of race prep, someone goes, oh, there's this coming up. Do you fancy give it a go? I want I want to be fit enough to be able to go to throw my hat in at anything. Go sure, sure. yeah, let's give that a go. Sure.
0: Okay. So and presumably for that, you need to take a holistic view to your your training and your recovery. Yeah, it
1: needs to, it needs to encompass everything. So I'm not, a, I'm not a one sport person. So it's not like I just need to run or I just yeah. need to lift weights. I need to be able to divide my time. What's the priority? What's coming up first? Okay, how do I recover from that? Is there active recovery? Is it full rest? Is there saunas or ice baths or more sleep or less sleep or do i actually do i need to train in hot conditions or cold conditions and yeah planning for a lot of these things of the unknown is a case of all right i need to be able to cover all bases yeah
0: doing what you doing what you can do and controlling the control and you i'm sure you get this a lot you don't look like an endurance athlete Physique-wise,
1: no, I'm not six foot two and 60, 60 kilos.
0: <laughs> so, how tall are you?
1: Uh, five nine and a half. I'd love to say In five ten, but I think I'd be lying.
0: <laughs> and how much do you weigh? Uh,
1: at the moment, because I'm I've cut weight for a race I've got this weekend. I I'm eighty three kilos, but I sit comfortably about eighty seven.
0: Okay, so you're you're a, a big, bulky kind of strong. Guy. I'm bro-
1: broader than your average endurance.
0: Than your <laughs> <laughs> So, and how does that? How does that? What's the reaction to that when you turn up to an Iron Man and you're there with your kind of uh, big legs, big arms, and there yeah. against the kind of skinny guy that's got?
1: I kind of, I think in the past I'm I'd get written off quite quickly. Yeah. Um, I think I've been called a muscle Mary on the start line before. <laughs> I'm not even sure what that is. Yeah. Um, but it's like, okay, am I in drag? Um, <laughs> but I, but that is. Do you what, enjoy that? That is what. Of being that's That's what. That's what. Spurs grain. me on because yeah. I'll. I'll work my ass off to catch up with that person. Yeah. And that, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not, my frame is not going to get me into a first, second or third place yeah. or the top 10, unless it's only a 10 person but then, place. But
0: then equally, so are only the first 10. There's, you know, absolutely. in these events, there's thousands. And there's lots of people looking at you going.
1: Absolutely, 100%. So I, it's absolutely spurs me on. It's a fantastic motivation to prove people wrong and to prove this age old rumor that you can't be, you can't look like a bodybuilder and be an endurance athlete as well. And there's a lot of athletes, a lot of athletes, a lot of coaches who are doing it really well now. Um, I'd like to think from a UK, maybe even London point of view, I was one of the early adopters of doing it. And it's become really, I don't want to say trendy because that's the wrong term, but it's only become more popular to be able to do everything. I've seen a lot of PTs who, when I first started doing it sort of four or five years ago, wouldn't even dream of going for a 10K run, let alone doing a half Ironman. And actually I've seen a lot of my colleagues and ex-colleagues now training for all these events. Oh, this is interesting.
0: And do you think, where do you think that kind of um, acceptance or expectation that that it was possible comes from? Do you think it was working with the, the army? Because obviously you look at army soldiers and things like that, they are running. 10Ks carrying massive weights, yeah. they are big guys, lots of them, they're doing obstacle courses. So they, you know, this myth that it, it can't really be done, there's, there's hundreds of people doing it in, Absolutely. you know, the British forces, the American Force. forces, you know, forces all around the world. Uh,
1: I think unfortunately, and maybe I'm wrong in saying unfortunately, but I think CrossFit Games has a massive role to play in this. Uh, I think when CrossFit first became very popular, I was very skeptical, I was very critical of it, because actually it was done very badly. Um, it was done with lift as much weight as you can, as many, as many times as you can, who cares about the form? And it's not that anymore. It still happens, but that's really, really a tiny percentage. And it's not that I'm a massive CrossFit fan, but I think what it's done is it's opened its eyes to actually these almost super athletes where they have no idea what they're going to turn up and do, but they need to be able to do everything. And actually, it's, they're not, it's not doing everything okay, they're actually doing everything really well pretty bloody well, and I think and again it's a bit like the same thing as like they've done it's done wonders for women going to lift weights it's like you know what you can be a really attractive phenomenal physique woman and still look like a woman and you can still lift loads of really heavy weight so I think it's on the same breadth as that that actually what it's done is it's helped create or it's helped move that barrier but I also think in another term that actually I think people are getting a bit maybe I'm wrong but I think people are getting bored of just always focusing on what they look like and actually that physical challenge of looking what you look of of trying to look better all the time just gets a bit mundane and I think you end up judging yourself so much on your own critique more than actually anyone else's critique I think you almost kind of want to go well if I finish this race then I've I've done really well but actually if I look good in a pair of budgie smugglers for a week on holiday actually it's only for the first two days but I'm about to drink I'm about to go to an all you can eat buffet every single day that's the thing
0: the the kind of aesthetic goals I think it's different if you're competing because then there's a competition but the kind of aesthetic goals of looking good on holiday or you know And and I've been guilty of that myself. But then you kind of get on the plane to go on a long haul flight and you're like, well, I'm going to have a couple of beers. I'm going to eat some food. I'm going to not move for 12 hours. You get off the plane and
1: you feel terrible. you feel terrible. And,
0: you know, you don't even make it to the beach. No. And so it's yeah. And I think that I think there's been certainly in the last few years, which is good, a kind of slight backlash on that and a realization that actually increasingly it's it's not it's it's very self focused and actually it's judging yourself because other people are looking at themselves and worrying about themselves and they're not even looking at you anyway.
1: And I think that's it. And I think the biggest I, there's I mean, a long way to go, of course. But yeah, and I think the big a lot of the I thought the conversations I've had with people who I've joined who are new to gyms, for example, over the over the many years that I've worked in gyms, or our clients who are worried about going on holiday and not looking how they maybe want to look. It's like. I, you're the only one who cares. Everyone else is so busy thinking the same thing you are going, oh, my God, how do I look? I don't know what I'm doing in the gym or everyone's looking at me. It's like they're not they're too busy looking at themselves yeah. or too busy worrying about that. Other people are looking at them. You, you're all thinking the same thing, but no one obviously discusses that. You're not going to go up to a stranger and go, are you, are you looking at me? Because I'm really paranoid. You're looking at me. And they're going to go, I have no idea what you're talking about. No, actually, I'm worried. Why? I'm you worried not? about my. Why aren't you? Actually, house. why aren't you looking yeah. at me? Yeah. And it, you end up having these type of conversations. It's a bit like you said like you do. you. Four months of really restrictive eating and exercising, going absolutely completely bonkers to sit on a beach and go to all you can eat buffet for breakfast, and you're really bloated by the time you put on your budgie smugglers and you're going, Oh, that was that was really not worth it, although that, that four months of restriction. Because actually, I don't care. And no one else is looking at me. And actually, there's a person who's ten times my size and they don't care, and they're having a beer for breakfast. So why am I so worried about that? And I think I think it's had a nice shift away from that. Certainly the bit that I'm part of anyway that fitness industry I've no doubt it still happens magazine covers are still selling it and it's always going to be there
0: yeah the industry is the industry has a long way to go but they're definitely parts of the industry that are
1: going in the right way and there's lots
0: of sort of sensible balanced trainers and gyms and modalities of training that put the focus on the individual and their goals and kind of personal development, whether it's physical or mental approach to it, which I, th- I think is a good thing. Um, so looking at your your training then for these these kind of multidisciplined events, how do you approach your training? Is it you have something set out at the beginning of the year because you, your events are, are dotted in or do you kind of do it on a monthly cycle? Do you get bored in your training and have to mix it up? And is that why you do lots of different events?
1: So uh, this year has obviously been very different. Everyone's year, everyone's twenty twenty has definitely changed to what they originally planned. Um, so I had three big events for this year lined up. In fact, I had five big events lined up for this lined up, and I'm only actually doing one of them now, which is this weekend. Which Everything is else is be which is a half Ironman in Nottingham, um, amazingly going ahead just as the weather turns, which is wonderful. <laughs> but it is what it is. So I had five big events. I had two fitness competitions and a full Ironman and a run some event down in Wales. So everything else has been cancelled or moved where it didn't work for me because of other events, things going on. So this is the only thing that's happening this year. But if I look at a normal year when this is obviously completely out of the norm, I'll have certain things put in. So I'll, I tend to go for things that I think are quite exciting. So even if I've never done it before, it's like, OK, well, what turns that? OK, what else have I got going on around that time? I'll speak to family. Have we got anything going on? Am I allowed to do that? Is that OK? You have to ask permission for yeah, these things, whatever age you get to. Um, <laughs> and and you go, OK, great, I can do that. OK, well, that's six months away. So have I, am I going to put anything else in the middle of those six months to help build up or am I just going to focus on training? So if it's a marathon, for example, OK, well, do I just want to train straight to do that marathon or am I going to put a half marathon in there? Am I going to put some 10Ks in there or am I able actually just to keep that discipline up?
0: And, and how would you or what would you say to listeners who are thinking about some of these events and thinking that actually that they've not done them before, that you know, maybe they can run a 10K but they've never done an obstacle course. And actually, well, I'm not that strong. I can't even do a press up, you know, and then thinking that I need to train for six months for it. What would you say to them? How would you tell them to approach that?
1: I always say, I say to anyone, be realistic upon yourself. So if you know you've never done a 10K or you've never run further than 5K, going and entering a half marathon in a month's time is just going to be really unenjoyable. So asking yourself why you're doing it and can you do it? How far away from you doing it now? So if we look at that that planning approach, that planning spectrum, are you giving yourself enough time to actually enjoy it? And I always think it's really important because you're not doing it to win money. We're, we're not lucky enough to do this as a living. <laughs> so actually unless you enjoy it, I think there's no point in doing it. There's a limit to how much pain I think, the normal average person is willing to put themselves through. It's always whatever you do is always going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but there's a bit uncomfortable and there's actually being in pain. There's actually being in agony because you haven't given yourself enough time to prepare for that event. So if it is a 10K obstacle course race and you know you find doing five press ups, for example, really, really difficult. So the likelihood of you being able to pull yourself over a 10 foot wall and climb under barbed wire and I know, climb up a ladder and then shoot down a slide into ice and like all these things are going to be really uncomfortable. So give yourself enough time to prepare to actually at least build some basic body weight strength. You haven't got to suddenly be able to do 100 press-ups in a row without breaking, but I would certainly build up to a moderate level of body weight only strength so you actually can go to these things and have fun and not hate every second of it. Yeah. And that's the difference, I think, when you see people who are, Going in to do these things for fun and what they then they soon they realize with their friends, I should have really trained for this. I should have done more than just gone, I went for a run around the block.
0: And I guess it's it's the difference between if you're only ever gonna do it once and you know you're ever gonna do it once, then that's the thing. But actually if you I think what turns a lot of people off is they they strive for something which is brilliant, but it's it's just a little bit unrealistic and then yeah. they get turned off they hate sports or they hate running because you know, they couldn't do it or it really hurt. But actually, it's a, I guess it's like you say it's about choosing something that is a stretch but is achievable and yeah. then being realistic with the approach because it should be fun. Like yeah. you say, vast majority of people aren't going to be paid for this, aren't going to get anything other than a pat on the back and a like on Instagram. And so you've got to enjoy it.
1: And that's it. And I think a lot of these things and I'm guilty as well, I'll enter something and go, I'll always give myself enough time to prepare for it but i've definitely gone and gone i didn't do enough work that i should have done i did like an ultra marathon last year and my running was great my running was spot on i'd done everything to plan what i hadn't done was i hadn't done enough hill work and this was a really hilly south downs ultra marathon <laughs> and you know what i got through it fine and it was a really hot day which obviously makes everything a little bit harder but i in my back of my mind i went i didn't do enough hill work and i should have done what i did loads of running i did loads of stuff. Sort of low intensity, easy running to get me through perfect pacing. And that was spot on. But actually, the hills just drained all my energy. And I'm kicking myself again, you know what? I'm fit enough and I'm mentally tough enough to get through it. And it's going to be fine. But my life would have been easier if I'd gone to Surrey a bit more and actually done some
0: hills. So it's that it's that balance between doing the hard work so actually you enjoy the event yeah. properly and you can focus yeah. on that. Like rather if than it had been, it
1: had been 10 miles short, I would have been much happier, <laughs> but it wasn't.
0: Um, so obviously your training load uh, is pretty heavy. How do you deal with low motivation days I think, when you just can't be bothered?
1: I think you have to accept it. I think you can't fight low motivation. I think if it's every day, there's an issue. I think the odd day here and there when you are Heavily focused on an event or heavily focused on training for something specific, whether, whether it is a holiday and you're trying to lose weight and look good on it, or whether it's training for an Ironman or whatever it might be, I think you need to allow that actually that focus of going, you know what, I am going to be a bit unmotivated on Monday morning. So actually, instead of me planning a really hard session on Monday, I'll just, you know what, I'll either do nothing and I'll make sure that I've had enough sleep and I'll recover and I'll go make sure I hit my 10,000 steps and I'll do a little bit of 10 minute mobility and I'll come away from my desk. And you just give yourself a bit of a break. I think if you end up, people fight and they look desperately to find motivation and find inspiration. I think, you know what, I think you just have to accept that, you know what, some days you're not going to have it. So, and I do have days like that. And I've, like this week is my tapering week and I've done very little in terms of tapering just because I've got so much other things that are going on in my mind and I'm being very tired. So my main focus is on actually getting early nights, which I never have that focus on. I'm quite, although I love sleep. I'm pretty crap at going to bed early when I should do. Yeah. So I will end up staying around, staying up and faffing. But actually, because I'm not having the best time because there's lots of things going on, what I'm doing is actually I'm just focusing more on. Hey, I want to be in bed by half past nine. So when I do wake up at my normal time of quarter past five, for example, I've had much more sleep than I would do normally.
0: And how is that kind of recognition of the fact that there's low motivation, how's that changed over the years? Were you, were you that uh, kind of aware of it when you were doing your physique competitions or were you just, I must train through this?
1: No, I think I did just train through it. So I, I had, when I was training for my last bodybuilding competition, in the year in that gap, I suffered from terrible insomnia. I had really bad insomnia, I had a very bad breakup and I went through quite bad anxiety. And I, just my, even going through therapy, my, my own personal therapy outside of the sessions was to train as much as possible. And just to focus on, okay, well, I'm gonna be really, really strict with my diet. I know exactly what I was having. I never went a gram over my <laughs> macros. That was on, that was dialed in. And it became an absolute obsession. It became a complete um, focus because I didn't wanna think about anything else. So I was training and dieting on sort of an hour and a half sleep maybe getting up to go and train clients for seven hours, training clients, training home, bed, not really sleeping, thinking about sleeping, but not sleeping. So it, it absolutely, I just I completely, by the end of the competition, by the end of that year, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this ever again. And yeah. my sleep eventually got better because I got better. but. I did, I just absolutely trained through it. I don't think it did me any good, but I didn't feel a burnout because I was eating enough for what I was doing. I just wasn't recovering very well. Yeah. But that was, you can't fight insomnia. So yeah. I had to deal with what was ever in front of me.
0: Yeah, and you, you, you kind of dealt with those and you've, you've come through that. Do you think, do you ever think that you'd like to go back to the bodybuilding knowing what you know now and maybe entering a seniors? Or? There, would, there <laughs> would
1: have to be a great reason for me to do it again. Really? I really enjoyed doing them. I wouldn't have done them if I didn't enjoy doing them. You put yourself through too much to not enjoy it. I didn't enjoy this, the, the day because it's over in a flash and it's six months worth of complete focus and selfless, selfishness where all you're doing is focusing on yourself. Like, I can't go out for dinner there because I can't have that there. And they, they, their menu isn't on my fitness palace, so therefore I can't track what I'm eating. and. No, I'm gonna eat here now, so I don't want to go out with you then.
0: Uh you just it's complete sound like a great friend to have. Oh awful friend, that. awful friend, <laughs> awful boyfriends.
1: Like you are you are rubbish, because all you wanna do is you wanna if you're not if you're not training, you want to eat. If you're not eating and you're not training, you want to sit and do nothing, and you wanna think about fin- it finishing. Yeah. So from start to finish, you're kind of thinking about it being over, and the day is over in a flash, and then you just eat loads. So it's the day is rubbish. The build-up is enjoyable because you're seeing change happen. It's like anything, it's a bit like training for any event. You're, you're seeing, you're seeing, you're yourself, seeing, you're seeing yourself get you're faster. You're seeing it. You're seeing, the absolutely. And you might get injured. Okay, well, I'm going to train around it. What can I do? All oh, right, I need, I need to go see a physio. So therefore, I'm going to get better. And you're, you're putting the pieces of puzzle together and you're always learning something as well. And that's what's really nice. Okay, you know, what, actually, that's made, that bit of training's actually really helped do something aesthetically to me or that bit of training actually hasn't worked and it's making me feel really rubbish. So I'm going to try this instead. Or that food group is making me feel really sluggish. So I'm going to manipulate that a little bit. So you're learning all the time. But no, I, I loved it. And bodybuilding will always be a huge passion of mine. It's still really important to me. But stepping on stage in a pair of Speedos looking like a Ron Seal fence is not, <laughs> is not, is not, is not, is not something I'm running back to <laughs> anytime soon.
0: Um. We've, we've touched on some of the, I guess, the kind of mental approach to it and things like that, but you've obviously done quite a lot of study around training and the approaches. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about that and what you've done and kind of how that is has um, played into your, your work with clients and your own training as well?
1: So my, my master's degree was um, from St. Mary's Twickenham, and I did it in strength and conditioning. I did my... My thesis, which was heavily criticised when I put the proposal for it together, was to look at aesthetics within strength and conditioning, looking at coaches, um, at which...
0: So the aesthetics of the coach? The
1: aesthetics of the coach and does it make an impact upon the athletes?
0: So Will, does the athlete trust a fat coach versus a a reps coach? Essentially.
1: Um, should they look like a strong man? Should you
0: trust a skinny chef?
1: Absolutely and that is that type it's the of the age stuff. old question and that's it, and would you trust a bankrupt accountant <laughs> and, all that, and all that type of stuff So it was heavily criticized when I put the proposal together by my head of department who basically went, this is quite a soft topic it's not because it wasn't because it looked at more psychology and social psychology they wanted me to look at biomechanics or physiology, which is obviously the standard science route um, and I said I think it's a really really under research topic.
0: I, I mean, we'll we'll come into it. It's, yeah, I think it's, we'll, we'll hear more about it. But you, I often get, and we, I spoke to Frankie on the first episode about this, you, you know, you don't look like a PT. Yeah. You know, what does a PT look like? You know, should That's I have it. bigger arms? Should I be, you know, I've got hair, chest hair. I mean, but yeah. how, why have you got chest hair if you're a PT? Well, because <laughs> I'm not 22 and That's right. <laughs> on Love Island. Um, and, and so these sorts of things, I mean, it's it's a big, it's a big thing.
1: Yeah, really big, and I th- it's it's always going to be a topic of conversation, always. Um, so I did that, and despite his uh, disapproval for it, reticence, sorry, um, I ended up winning, prize for the best research project, um, which was obviously Brilliant. wonderful. Um, that was great. But what it did is it started to open my eyes to different methods of training and looking at different and more research. So although I'd done my undergrad degree and done a postgrad degree, so research, looking at studies and things like that wasn't anything new to me, but it made me look at broader spectrums because the research topic was so narrow, I had to really look at very, very broad. So I had to look at everything from eating disorders, nothing to do with sport at all, through to um, physical and verbal abuse about coaches and in the workplace. All these things kind of made me a better researcher. So when I started moving away from bodybuilding and more into military stroke, hybrid training stroke, different modality of training, I started looking at lots of different coaches and looking at different avenues. And it made me explore everything from long distance runners, why do they do what they do, to strong men, why do they do what they do, and starting to, marry up quite a lot of similarities, but actually then started to find coaches and athletes who were combining several different modalities. Okay, so why does an Ironman train like an Ironman? Why do they, why does a strongman train like that? Well, actually strongmen do loads of cardiovascular training because they've got to be cardiovascular fit. They just may not look it, yeah. but actually they're incredibly fit.
0: Well, one of the, um, and sort of mobility is one of the, the kind of classic mm. ones, stretching. So yeah. I coached some of the, ex-U.S. gymnastics coach who's done a lot of kind of gymnastic strength training. And he's one of his big bugbears is about, you know, stretching. And his thing is, you know, if if Olympic weightlifters are stretching, why, you know, why aren't you yeah. like, you know, if they can hold a deep squat and they're doing their body weight three times above their heads, why are you not stretching to and mobility work to get into a, a deep yeah. squat?
1: That's it. And, it really, and there's no argument. There is, yeah. just like, I, I, I don't know, because I just yeah. don't want to. Well, yeah. that's a really crap argument. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's fine. You, if
0: that's your response, that's fine. But that is going to limit you. Yeah. I guess to, to be the best you can, you have to look at everything. Yeah. And that, so that, the, the academic study gave you a grounding in looking at the, the yeah. real meaningful research, not just the kind of stuff you see in the health and fitness magazines. And that's and, it.
1: I think I got very, although I've, I've been very lucky to write for publications over the years, it's, it's, it's a lot of it is regurgitated with different pictures and, different, and, different, and, just, and just plagiarized slightly differently. So I started to really explore and self-experiment, going, okay, well, can I, what does being a bodybuilder and doing an obstacle course race do? What hinders me? Well, actually doing an obstacle course race and being a bodybuilder actually is really useful because I've only got to run short distances between obstacles and actually picking up that Atlas stone and doing five burpees and picking that a stone and then doing five burpees again. Actually, that's really easy because I'm much stronger than Dave next to me who weighs- can do a 10 who weigh, who, Well, absolutely, minutes. who weighs 10 kilos soaking wet, who can't physically pick up that atlas stone, let alone walk with it. So I've already lost him. And he may catch up with me, but as soon as we've got another obstacle course again, I'm gonna overtake him again. So it made me start to go, okay, well, actually, that's quite nice. Okay, I'm gonna try and do longer distances. So I started doing more running, and then I got into, okay, well, how can I make, doing longer distances, like longer running distances, a little bit more interesting. So I came up with a stupid uh, event that I did on my own, raising money for charity where I did a sandbag burpee marathon. So I ran with a 13 kilo sandbag across my shoulders and every mile I did 13 burpees and I did 26.2 miles. So I did like 365 burpees or something and actually I completed it in under five hours. Like I wasn't trying to do it fast, but actually it's like, 26, 26.2 miles is always gonna suck. Stopping every mile and doing an exhausting exercise sucks that little bit more, and carrying a weight sucks <laughs> that little bit more again. But it was, it was almost playing into, okay, well, actually, these are my strengths. I'm able to do this. I'm mentally quite strong. I'm happy to be uncomfortable for a good period of time. I don't mind being in discomfort. I'm quite happy to go into, I always call it, I'm quite happy to go into a hole. Yeah. I don't mind that. I'm quite happy to sit in a dark hole and be and a bit suffer. I think kind of people that do generally do endurance events are are, are that way, are wired. You
0: need to be able to just say to yourself this is momentary. And that moment might be, you know, if you're doing a 10k or it might only be you know, thirty five or 40 minutes. If you're doing a marathon it might be to half, two yeah. three hours. But it's if only gonna doing, last that long. But it's only that. It's not gonna yeah. it's they're not life, it's not the no. full day. Well, it's, it's not gonna it's kill not you. It's not gonna
1: be twenty six point two miles. Actually there's a bonus mark. It's not it's yeah. always gonna be twenty six unless you get yeah. lost, it's going to be yeah. twenty six point two miles. So it's going to finish. And that's what I always say to a lot of people who are going to go, oh, but like, is that not really like, is it not hard? Is that not? Because I know it's going to finish. It's not going to go on for another day. You focus on that. It's going to end. If it's a 10 hour event and that's the cutoff, it's 10 hours. Yeah. It's not 11. Yeah, it's going to suck. But can I keep going for 10 hours? Yeah, okay, well then I'm going to keep yeah. going for 10 And i have trained to do, to be able to go for 10 hours. Um, when I was playing, when I was younger and I was playing rugby, actually my cardiovascular fitness was my weaker point. So strength wasn't a problem. I could go into a ruck and I could pull people out of a, of a ruck because I was bigger and I was stronger until obviously, like you said, I stopped growing and I started <laughs> growing and then I lost. And then they were heavier than me. But it was I was able to do that. But I very rarely lasted 80 minutes because I just got gassed out. And it's now probably the other way inclined. I'm now probably able to go for a very, very long period of time. But actually, it's probably my strength that will eventually give out. So it's switched because actually it's not as important. I need to be strong enough to to do what is I want to do. But I, and I'm always gonna be that little bit stronger than I probably need to be for certain events. But it's my cardiovascular fitness and my mental game that's gonna get me through those really crappy hard times more than anything else. So I think, like I said, it goes back to that. I'm happy to sit in a dark hole. I'm happy to sit on And a salt bike, for example, which generally anyone who goes on these salt bikes generally hate because they're hard. It's one level of resistance. So unless you have unless you weigh a really good amount, it's always going to be that heavy resistance. Where if you're heavier, you're able to move it quicker. I'm happy to sit on that for quite a long period of time and just be a bit uncomfortable because I know that's going to get me through it. And actually, those really crappy times in training is going to they're going to help me through the really crappy times in an event.
0: So before we come to the kind of final three questions that I'm asking all the guests, I guess asking the the question on the tin of why we move, it seems you move like most people for a range of a range of reasons. Some of it is the the personal challenge, um, some of it is the, the fun of it, the learning aspect of it about yourself, I guess physically and mentally. Is that kind of what else would you? Kind of, does that hit the nail on the head? Or it I mean, has,
1: yeah, absolutely. I enjoy it. I really do. I wouldn't do it otherwise. I wouldn't. I it's wouldn't, too painful. What you, the, the training It's too you painful. Do. It's also too expensive. These, are, <laughs> yeah. and the, and the that's, these events are really expensive. Like an Ironman is 500 pounds.
0: And that's before you get into the and equipment. And that's before you've done anything. That's before you, that's, yeah, that's, travel. A, that's before
1: anything at all. That just to enter an event is about four to 600 pounds. So you're already committing a lot of money. You're committing to time away from friends and family. You're committing to giving up. Certain social events because you just they just don't they don't marry up together. It's got you've got to really enjoy it, and I do really really enjoy it, and I do I have loads of fun when I do it. I may not at the time all the time always, but, but that's fun. life. That, and that is absolutely life. Not enjoy and it's a massive time. personal challenge. When I started doing longer endurance events, I did it to raise money for a friend of mine who I lost through cancer. So I raised money for Marie Curie who helped look after him, and that really, really grew my love of endurance training because I was doing it in his memory. I was doing it to raise as much money as I could for him. And, ever, and he always comes to my mind, whenever I'm suffering through a race, he'll always be, okay, this is why I do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's really important to remember why you're doing it. But it is, it's fun. I love the challenge. I wouldn't do it otherwise. And I think that's the most important thing when it comes to doing anything from a physicality point of view. If you're gonna pay to do something, and you're not gonna get anything back from it financially wise, i.e. it's not your job, you have to have that fun, it has to be enjoyable. And it is, it's, it's, it's definitely what floats my boat.
0: Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's part of the, the whole, I guess ethos of Do More Movement is in trying to encourage people to find, find what that passion is and try different things that, you know, people say, oh, should, I should go running. Well, no, you shouldn't go running if you hate it. Yeah. If you're gonna do it twice, or and, and beat yourself up about it, don't run. Go for a swim, yeah. go for a cycle, oh, go and lift 100%. some weights, go to Zumba, what, You know, yeah. find what it is that you enjoy and you want to do and you want to get better at and that you're going to do into your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, because life's too short to, to do stuff that you don't enjoy, especially if you've got to pay 500 pounds to do it. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> um, brilliant, so the, I guess the final three questions, like I say, that I'm asking, um, asking all the guests, firstly, sources of inspiration. So things that kind of light your fire, maybe that you refer clients to. So books, documentaries, Instagram accounts, Spotify, playlists, things that get you pumped to train or that you like to reflect on and stuff like that. You can have your thesis if people can find it and are interested Um, in that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So things that uh, motivate me, Uh, I think certainly a friend of mine, Ian, who I lost um, through cancer, big source motivation. He was a, he was a runner, and when I, I used to work with him in the army, and when I worked with him in the army, I really disliked cardiovascular. I mean, I had to do it because of the job, but if I could get out taking the troops for a run, I would. If I could get out <laughs> doing a speed march, I would. I'll look
0: after the bags, guys. And that was <laughs> it. It's like, you know I'll
1: stay here, and I'll take them through an obstacle course, <laughs> or I'll stay, I'll take them in the gym. He's like, no, you're gonna go out for a run. And I think when he passed away, I remember saying to his wife, I really want to do something in his memory, I'm not sure what to do. Maybe I run a marathon. She went, but you hate my marathon. And that's I know. The point. But that's why I want to do it. I kind of want to do it because I wish i I wish he'd see me do it. So I did lots of them. Um he, and again, I said before, he always comes into the back of my mind whenever I'm doing any sort of distance and I'm suffering. Like that. He would love to see this. He would think he'd think it hilarious. He's always in the back of my mind. So I think it's he's I suppose he's a big part of my why. Yep. Um, Instagram accounts. We spoke a bit kind of offline before about Instagram is a love hate relationship. I love it because there is so much great content out there. And I do enjoy putting content out there because it's something that I enjoy. But I think also it's a huge time waste as well. And we kind of said a minute ago, you could be sucked into just suddenly doing nothing for four hours ago. And I, I think I came on here to look at something specifically, and I can't remember what I was looking at. Um, and I liken it to a dating app. You just sit there, instead of swiping, you scroll and you don't get anywhere. So I don't tend to, I don't tend, to, I know a lot of people do, and they go onto Instagram to find inspiration and motivation, and they'll look at someone like David Goggins and things like that, who is wonderful, and he's a great source of inspiration and motivation. He just doesn't do it for me yeah, personally. So, so, where would you. Um, Oh, it's a really good question. I suppose I
0: don't have any specific sources, okay.
1: so I know that's a really, really rubbish answer.
0: Is there any materials that you send clients to in terms of books or... Kind
1: there's, of it, there's a couple of nice documentaries that I've put people in touch with. I suppose That's a really bad way of saying it. That I've kind of said, I really like this. Yep. Not saying it's going to suddenly rile you yep. up, but looking at things there where people, I suppose, have overcome things. So there's a wonderful... Film called, I think it's called. Oh God, I'm so rubbish with names. I think it's called like the Hundred Mile, and it's about a guy who suddenly develops cerebral palsy, who is going to who decides he wants to run an Ironman, and it's about that. And it's a wonderful story. It's I mean it's heartbreaking, but it's a fantastic source of inspiration because it's real. Um, and I think that's a lovely thing, and I've, I've, I've told a few people about it. I'm pretty sure it's called 100 Mile. Yeah. Um, I'll link to it in and the And that's the a wonderful one of And I think it's on Netflix. Oh no, it's on Amazon Prime, sorry. Um, I think, I'm trying to think, really sorry. I'm really rubbing. That's sure all right, that's
0: fine. If there's not, there's not. I there's
1: nothing want... that goes to the front of my okay, head. Okay, that's I, all right. I, 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 I think motivation and inspiration is, for me, I believe it's very internal. And I think you've got to want to do something. So I think if you start to look for reasons outside to get you interested in something, I think it starts to detract from what it is that you want to achieve. And I, guess and I think you be... end up going on to things like social media and looking at people with beautiful bodies and actually you end up losing that little bit of motivation, losing that inspiration going like that. Well, I don't look like that. And if that, even if I don't care as much anymore, But I can still be sucked into that world of going, actually, I'm looking for something to help me with, I'm looking for something to help me with pacing at a 5K or whatever. And actually, I've been sucked into a physique athlete. Just because that, you go round and round in circles and you're there. So for me, I suppose, yeah, it's very internal.
0: Um, and uh, second question so how can people get in touch or follow you what you're doing learn more about the everyday athletes so
1: everyday athlete as a a brand is everyday athlete PT on Instagram I've got a Facebook group as well which isn't private which is the everyday athlete performance group and at the moment I'm just in the process of setting up which is going to be about a month or two away which is um, called the EA Method Community Collective which is going to be essentially a online coaching group, but it's going to be, instead of it being my online program now is very, t- is tailored completely towards every individual. What this is gonna do is this is gonna have a hybrid type model, which most of my online clients have already, but it's tailored towards them. This is going to be a, uh, a generic type hybrid model, which will hopefully appear, which will work on a subscription base. So that's cool. coming very soon. And there's, you've
0: got some some training, Books that people can get some ebooks yeah, on your so website. Yeah, I've got two
1: ebooks, another one coming again in the next month or two. I've got one body one, and I've got one kettlebell or dumbbell Correct. one, and that's and they're, they're all they're all linked on my internet. Yeah, and
0: we can uh, we'll link to the in the one show thing. notes to all of that. Um, and I guess the final question that I'm asking everybody, all the guests, is what would you say to someone who's wanting to to increase their levels of activity? So maybe they're not doing anything, maybe they're just doing a kind of few bits and pieces, but want to make a, a, a positive change. What would you what would you say to that? I think you need to find something that interests
1: you. I think you touched on it before and you're exactly right. People feel that they should go and do something. They should go and run and they should go and buy a bike. And actually, I think instead of this should, do you want to? Do you want to go and buy a bike and go for a bike ride? If you don't and it's just going to collect dust in your garage or you're just waiting for it to get nicked outside in your shed, then just save your money. Don't go and buy new running trainers. You know what? If this is the first thing you're doing for quite a long time, just go and start walking more. Do the very bare, bare basics. Go out and move more. Go out and walk more. Go out and meet friends more. From a socially distance point of view, <laughs> uh, go and find something that you're really interested. In. If it's if it's lifting weights, go and lift some weights. Or you know what? Buy some weights and take them and take them at home with you if, you if you don't want to go to a gym. You need to find your passion. If you're constantly looking for something to try that's new because you feel like you should, you won't do it and you'll fight it. I've had lots and lots of clients over the years go, oh, I really feel like I should go swimming because I think I'd like swimming. It's like, well, why don't you go and swim then? And how was swimming? I hated it. Okay, great. Well, that's ticked off the list then. You don't need to worry about you thinking that you need to swim now. What do you, oh, you know, I really fancy going for a run. Okay, how was the run? I loved it. Great. Try and do it a bit more okay, let's try and do a bit more. Right, what do you want to do now? I want to do a 10K. Great, let's train you for a 10K. You've got to to define something that ignites your passion. It hasn't got to be all in. It hasn't got to take over your life. It's got to fit within what you're doing, but find something that you are willing to commit to in terms of you enjoy it, not that you feel that you should do it.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode of Why We Move. As always, thanks again to our guests. Hopefully you found their story inspiring and it's left you with a desire to get up and out and to move your body. Check out the show notes for links to our guests and their recommendations. If you liked what you heard, then please do subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or via whoever your chosen provider is. Please do leave a review and share with your friends and family. Peace and good vibes, and until next time, whatever you do, do more movement.